0: is coming.
1: You're listening to the Watchers of
0: Westeros. I am the king! A Game of Thrones podcast. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. Fire cannot kill a dragon.
1: Lion doesn't concern himself with the opinions of a sheep. Also heard the phrase, "A Lannister always pays his debt." For well, the
0: night is dark and full of terror. What good is power if you cannot protect the ones you love?
1: We can avenge them. All right, everybody, settle down. Settle down. Take a deep breath in. In, out, we are here to talk about it, don't worry, we will get into it, Jon Snow is dead! Or is he? We'll be discussing all that and so much more here tonight, you are in the right place if you are looking for some Game of Thrones talk, this is of course The Watchers of Westeros. Of course introductions are in order if you are new to the show and you may very well be, lots of uh, hype surrounding this finale. And, uh, well, with good reason, as we will talk about here tonight. But like I said, introductions are in order. My name is Dominic, and joining me, as he always does, is my good friend and co-host, the award-winning Kieran Duggan.
0: Welcome, welcome, everybody. And what a show we will have lined up for you today. What an epic finale that was, Dominic. Oh yeah! I think that was up there with the best of Game of Thrones episodes. And I know that... People have been a little bit critical, I would say, about this season. It's been a little bit slow, and it's not had that massive, iconic impact that we usually have on these particular episodes in some cases. But I think that this was a grand finale, and for some storylines, there was finally a bit of payoff, which is what we were expecting. Maybe a little bit earlier in the season, but we've got it now. And I, I'm sure you can't wait to talk about this episode either.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking forward to talking about it. I I, I liked it a lot. Um, I wouldn't. I don't know if I would put it as a, a, as some of the best of Game of Thrones, uh, but it was definitely. It definitely felt like there was some payoff to, to some stuff. And the problems with it are, are the the problems that have plagued this season. Um, but as an episode. In and of itself, I thought it, it, was, a, it was a good hour of television. I'm looking forward to, to breaking it all down, and let's start, of course, with the, the big thing, with the end of the episode. Let's start at the end with the death of one John Snow at the hands of his fellow fellow Night's Watch brothers for the Watch, as they said, as they stabbed him repeatedly. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, we'll get into that in just a second. I forgot we should we should start with well. We kind of did that overall impressions of the episode. We kind of already did that. So let's get, let's go right back to for the watch. So Jon Snow is dead. I'll throw it to you just for your initial reaction, just to that in and of itself. Jon Snow is dead. Where is he?
0: Well, initial impression when I saw it, I was shocked. I big time. I did not see that coming. It, it wasn't the biggest shock. For me, the biggest shock ever on television, and still to this day, will always be The Red Wedding. For me, I never saw that coming. Oh, yeah. And I think that in terms of TV history, that's one of the most you know, iconic shocks that you'll ever see. But this was still quite a big one because we talked about it before many a time on a podcast of, well, yeah, you know, we've had the big allusions to the fact that Jon Snow may well be the son of Rhaegar Targaryen mm-hmm. and Ned's sister Lyanna Lyanna and then he's just gone and a, a similar thing to the, the thoughts that we had were talking about the children of these big houses would live in this coexistence of harmony and then Shireen dies and while that theory still exists, it was a shock to me because I thought that the Baratheons would play a part in that, but evidently
1: not, yeah. as we also <laughs> see in this
0: episode. But to see Jon Snow go down the way he did, the fact it happens, when you look back at hindsight, isn't a surprise. You know, Sam leaves. Yeah, Aemon dies, again, one of his allies. The wildlings have all disappeared now, so... He hasn't got Torment Giant's Bane on, on his side either. And Stannis has lost, yeah. who again, in a way, was another ally. But he's dead. Well, we think he's dead. Who knows? But the point is he's lost and it's been a disaster. Mm-hmm. And he gets stabbed in the back by his own men. Yeah. And it's, it's so shocking to see that happen. But it's understandable. Oh, yeah. I mean, If we look at it through the whole season, disgruntled Night's Watchmen, it makes sense now that the camera has panned to these Night's Watchmen who are disheartened, who are frustrated, and also to Ollie, that yeah. child. We said before, didn't we, Why? why is there so much emphasis on this kid? And then he's the one who lands the final blow. It's devastating and... No matter what you say about the kid, you have to have some level of sympathy to him. Mm -hmm. Although it's frustrating he's killed Jon Snow, he wasn't wasn't brought up this way. He's watched horrific things happen to his family. And the Wildlings were a cause of that. So you can understand why he, of all people, or as a child, would be against Jon Snow and the Night's Watch aiding them. It's, it's, it was an interesting one, but I, I don't want to talk overly much about it because it means you won't get words in, but <laughs> I'll throw it over to you, Dominic, in terms of your initial impressions, but but also I'll let you then kickstart some of the theories that have been going around <laughs> that actually Jon Snow may not John be dead, but we'll Snow go over made... initial impressions first.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you when you said, you know, the Red Wedding was by far the most surprising of all of the Game of Thrones deaths. Uh, Ned Stark's beheading at the end of season one is definitely up there as well. For me, this one, I felt it was very telegraphed throughout this season. With, as you mentioned, there was a lot of shots back to the, uh, to the, the men of the night's watch, to Ollie, and it got me wondering if perhaps this is where we were going in the finale. Not saying I predicted it, and, and no, I didn't read the spoilers, but I, I was sort of wondering like things are not going to be good for John at the end. Um, I, I knew things would be bad. I thought maybe more along the lines of exile or, or something like that. I wasn't expecting him to be stabbed multiple times and and thrown into the snow, basically, and then you know to have Ollie be the one to do it again. It makes sense. That kid, he went full dark side <laughs> during the last half of this season, and you know it, it made sense. It was a tragic, tragic moment, like you said. And and I thought it was pulled off very well. I thought the you know bringing up uh, Uncle Benjamin again was a, a smart way to do it. Uh, I was I was disappointed that Sir Alistair was uh, among the men to do it because it, we kind of had a, a bit of a not quite redemptive story arc for him, but he never was quite. He never seemed that he would cross the line uh, and you know of mutiny basically and, and killing the Lord Commander, that didn't seem like something he would do, um, despite his feelings about Jon Snow. So, with that in mind, that was also, a, it was, it was disappointing in the story. It wasn't like, it was like, oh, it wasn't a, you know, out of universe like, oh, I'm disappointed with the way that played out. It was like, in universe, I'm like, oh, come on, Sir Alistair, we, just when we thought you were cool, it's kind of like with, with Stannis, just when we thought you were cool, you burn your child, or you stab Jon Snow in the back. So, yeah, with that, but, I'm also not convinced that he's dead yet. Um, to me, the the big theory for me is that um, Melisandre will bring him back using the the her magics uh, from the Lord of Light. Uh, we've seen that before on the show, right? We've seen that back in season three, I think it was with the Brotherhood without Banners and and Bedrick Dondarrion, I think that's his name, and uh, and Thoros the the. The uh, red priest. I think those are their names. If I'm getting them, massively okay. Oh, good, good. So with those two characters, we've seen this before. That is possible. Now, of course, uh, uh, Bedrick or uh, Bendrick Dondarrion says, you know, every time I come back, I lose part of myself, and so we could be dealing with a bit of a different Jon Snow next season. But I, or but I fully believe that he will be back. If not next season, then for season seven, no matter what Kit Harrington says, <laughs> you know, of course, as soon as the episode airs, there's an interview with, with, uh, with Kit Harrington up on, uh, on, on entertainment weekly. And he's saying, yep, I'm, I'm dead. I'm, I'm not coming back next season. And you know, it's like what else? What is that guy really going to say? You really think that that's going to happen? And then you're going to have interviews with him or with uh, David and uh, David Benioff and, and Dan Weiss or, or whatever. I, I might have those names flipped there, saying, "Ha, fooled you! He'll be back next season." They're not going to have that. They want there to be a surprise when Jon Snow comes back, if Jon Snow comes back. Uh, but that—that's my—that's that, the theory I think is most likely is that this is what we'll see happen. Uh, other people are suggesting that he may warg into uh, into ghost and and live out as a, as a dog, which would be interesting to have your hero of the story <laughs> be a direwolf. Yeah, yeah, that would be interesting. Um, I, I know people, that that theory is based on what people have read in the books, and in the books, it's implied that he has that power. Although on the show, the only Stark that we've ever really seen doing that is Bran. Now that being said, maybe John just didn't know, and he was able to do it subconsciously. It's you know to use a Star Wars reference. It's kind of like you know Luke Skywalker using the Force subconsciously to you know uh, thread the needle in Begg- Beggars Canyon. This is this is really a. a deep star wars reference this is not even in the film films this is a uh, uh, just the kind of assumptions we've always made about star wars and, and but you know it's that kind of thing where anakin skywalker in, in episode one anakin skywalker using the force in the pod race kind of subconsciously so maybe something like that with with john uh warging into ghost uh but th- that to me seems a, a bit of a stretch i think there's a there's a big reason that melisandre was back there at the end of the episode Mm -hmm. that she showed up and it wasn't just to, you know, have just to have Sir Davos know, find out the truth about those he had been serving with. Uh, It was, you know, that, and we've, it's been implied ever since she first laid laid eyes on Jon Snow that she recognized something important about him, you know, going back to the season four finale when she stared at him from across the fire. You know, she looked through the flames yeah. and she saw him, essentially. And there was that scene earlier this season where she tried to seduce him. So that it's clear that she recognizes there's something important about this kid. And we've seen that the Lord of Light has this ability to bring people back at least somewhat. So that will be really interesting to see how they how they handle that and how, you know, John handles it coming back. You know, this is something we talked about when the White Walkers were really came into their own this season and after hard homes, you know, how are we going to find out more about the white walkers? how are we going to find out what they really are? Well, maybe this is our opportunity, you know maybe John is brought back he can't really stay at castle black you know it will be one of those things where you know sir Alistair and and Ollie and everybody else will be like, Well, fuck, we have to kill him again, well, okay, for the watch and stab him through through the heart uh, again uh, he can't really stay there. I would like, hopefully Sir Davos would go with him. I think that would be an interesting way to keep that character involved. Um, but that I think would be an interesting way to find out some stuff about the wildlings, wildlings to have John venture out behind beyond the wall after being uh, brought back to life by Melisandre. And perhaps, well, there's another Stark out beyond the wall, Bran, and perhaps that that's how Bran will come back into the story. But that's wild speculation um, kind of getting away from the main point. But suffice to say, I I do not buy that Jon Snow is permanently dead. Um, what I do hope, though, is that there's a reason for this death and reanimation. I, I think there needs to be something about that 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 plays into the overall story. Mm. Uh, I don't want it to have just been for shock value, you know. I don't want it to because right now, not knowing the full story, it kind of feels like George R. R. Martin and and uh, David and Dan, the ND, as they're called. Uh, Well, them to a lesser extent, sort of looked at the situation and and sort of said, well, we we chopped off Ned's head. We stabbed Rob, uh, Catelyn and and uh, Rob's bride to be all in one or bride, I guess, his wife, Um, all in that one scene. We've we've had the red wedding. Now, how do we top that? Well, I know we'll kill off Jon Snow. And that would seem a bit cheap uh, just just to bring him back because. From what I understand, you know this happens at the end of this at the end of this season. It also happened at the end of the most recent book, uh, Dance with Dragons. So right. I, I would hope that it's not just kind of the hook to bring everybody back, and that there is a serious story reason to involve them. And that's why I think uh, it will likely be Melisandre bringing him back with uh, the power that we saw used on on Dendarian and, and Thoros of, of Pyre or by Thoros of Pyre, uh, because again. Why do you include those characters in the story for no other reason than something interesting for Arya to do when that power or those characters aren't really going to uh, play into it? And I'll be honest, I, I sort of started thinking about that. That power uh, after the episode, when I saw that meme that's been going around <laughs> um, with uh, Gendry, uh, it's, you know, Gendry rowing the boat and a bunch of other characters photoshopped in, you know, Bailon Greyjoy, Bendrick Dendarian, Asha with Rickon, Bran, Hodor, all these characters, and it says in the boat that they're all in is called the SS Abandoned Plot Lines. <laughs> <And I> thought, <laughs> you gotta, there's gotta be a point to all of that. And mm. I hope that they, find ways to bring it back and if you've been reading some of the casting descriptions for season six it sounds like the Greyjoy story will be coming back in a big way and uh well hopefully hopefully that that power at the very least to bring someone back through the lord of light will be used again so oh i have just rambled on for several minutes i'm gonna throw it back over to you do you think john is alive and uh, or do you think John can be brought back? Because I think okay, here's the thing. He's dead. He is dead. They're not yeah. lying when they say that. But can he be brought back? That's the big question. And how if you think that would happen, how do you think they'll do it?
0: He certainly can be resurrected back. As you said There, I completely agree with your idea about the Lord of Light, how they'll use that power. You know, how, how would it be deemed appropriate for Melisandre to intervene? I think it's going to be linked onto the funeral pyre. Because, of course, all of the bodies that die have to be burned. Otherwise, they'll turn into White Walkers. Yeah. So I think what we could find is two things here. We could also get some level of confirmation as to whether Jon Snow is a true Targaryen. Yeah. Because we've seen Danny walk into the flames Ooh. and survive now what if Jon Snow has be burnt and yet his body wouldn't wouldn't be burnt so like his clothes would but he would still be there that would that would be quite shocking as yeah. well yeah
1: that would be really interesting that would be a, then a that big would surprise
0: confirm the theory that he is part Targaryen yeah or at least he's the ancestor of or descendant, I should say, not ancestor, he's not older, the descendant mm-hmm. of Rhaegar Targaryen. Yeah, and yeah. on top of that, it could be used as a justification then for bringing him back. Well, yeah. Using the Lord of Lights to think it, it, there is something special with this person. He's mm-hmm. still not dead.
1: John's story, like the, the whole idea of killing him off, and if to kill him off now, it's it, it would be interesting if they did that because. It's he's been built up as a character that is going to be very important. I mean, there's a reason we keep going back to the wall. I mean, for the for the first four seasons, really, the main story is what's happening in King's Landing and and with all the politics there, the Game of Thrones. Um, but we still keep going out and checking in with Jon and with Danny, and when their stories are kind of separate from everything that. You know they're, that's separate from everything that's going on in King's Landing for the most part, and you know that sort of led to the theory that those two characters are important. And you know, A Song of Ice and Fire, which is the the t- the title for the book series, well, you have ice in Jon Snow, and you have fire in Daenerys Targaryen with her dragons, and so it would be something about that would be them, or that something to you know the end game for the story would be them coming together to. uh to you know, save save the realm or what have you, and and so that's sort of where it it kind of feels like he ha- he has to come back. We've spent all this time with all of this mystery surrounding him, whereas with the other characters that have died, specifically the other Starks, because those are always the biggest surprises. I would say, um, you know, Rob Stark's death and Ned Stark's, Stark's death and Catelyn's death, and even if we want to start including people like Tywin Lannister's death. You know, these characters, they die um, because it's part of the story. It it, it, adva- it advances where we need to go. Killing off John kind of almost stops the story at the wall. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it does kind of stop it. And, you know, I was sort of thinking this past week, you know, well, what if they keep him dead? Like, what would be the point of that? It, it comes back to that whole, whole idea of, you know, Game of Thrones is a metaphor for something going on in in our real, real world where, you know, there's a big threat out there. Um, For some people, they view that as, as climate change. I think that's actually a really interesting theory. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, there's this big threat out there, but people are just too busy infighting to actually get anything done. And whereas, you know, here's Jon Snow, this one guy who wants to do something about that bigger threat and he was just stabbed it almost by his own men for wanting to do something about that big threat. And wanting to bring people together to fight said threat. And he was just stabbed. So it, it kind of, you know, that would be an interesting sort of way to show what happens when you don't listen to that person. Or you can't put your petty grievances with other people aside to deal with the big real threat that is out there. So, you know, that would be an interesting way to go um, from a storytelling point. And you can do that with bringing John back. You know, you could bring Jon Snow back uh, from the dead, and have him, you know, run off. Have to run off. He can't really stay at the wall, and have to find a different way to do things. And we can sort of watch things disintegrate at the wall, from whether it's from the point of view of, of Ollie or Sir Alistair or if Davos stays, or maybe Sam comes back or anything. We just, or we can just hear about it, how things are disintegrating at the wall and wildlings and and, and the Nights Watch can't get along, and, and, and as as they always have, and and that kind of stuff. Whereas, you know, well, John is off doing something, something else, maybe finding Bran or, or, or what have you. But it, I think it, you yeah, know, from that sense, uh, from a storytelling point, maybe having to get rid of Jon Snow for a little bit makes sense. And this is an interesting way to do it. But it, it it almost seems like if he's dead for good, that kind of stops this story. Whereas because it was his story, really. I mean, that's what it was at the wall it was his story at the wall. And it's Danny's story in in the East and Marine. And whereas in King's Landing, there are a lot more moving pieces. There was Rob and Tywin, and now there's Cersei and, and Marjorie and Tommen, and there's so many moving pieces, and you can take one out and it affects what's going on, but it doesn't stop the story, if you know what I mean.
0: Exactly. No, that's, that's a very good way to put it. I do agree, actually, that actually having Jon Snow dead for a little time could make that story very interesting in the North, because... As you said, the Wildlings now have moved across the wall. What are the tensions going to resurface now between the Night's Watch and the Wildlings? I mean, they were already felt, they were already there, yeah. but nothing was done about it because Jon Snow was that linchpin which was really stopping the outbreak of conflict between the two sides. Yeah. But he's gone now. The mediator, the arbitrator, he's left. He's been killed off by his own men. What what's going to happen now with that storyline? I think it's going to be really interesting. Um, I mean, I'll throw it over to you then quickly. How long would you anticipate Jon Snow could be out for in terms of, in terms of episodes? Are we going to agree that we think he's going to come back? Could you see him coming back in the fir- at the end of the first episode or would you reckon they may even leave a whole season for it?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's interesting because it seems that they're going for seven seasons. That seems to be the end game that they have in mind, at least right now, or at least going into this season. So, um, basically, I wonder if you know I, he kind of needs to be brought back pretty quickly. I, I feel like I feel like that's a, a pretty big or a thing that needs to happen like right away. Um because he needs to eventually get out and uh you know start figuring things out, figuring out what his play, his part to play is in the wo- in the world now. And for me, where I see his story going over the next season is, you know, we look at another powerful character who was exiled. At the end of a season or who was sort of taken out of their their main spot at the end of a season. And that was Tyrion. And where did he go? He went to Danny. And I almost wonder if, you know, John will head north at first to go find answers about the White Walkers. Uh, He'll find Bran. And remember, Bran is hanging out with the children right now who are another sort of ancient being. And they probably could provide some answers about the Whites and the White Walkers. And perhaps through Bran's warging, they could figure out, oh, there's this, this dragon queen over on the other side of the world. And perhaps John would then set sail that way and go with, and go to join Danny and come back and deal with whatever threats there are now, um, as a united Targaryen front almost. And that still could tie in to, uh, that could still tie in to our theory that you know it's going to revolve around the various the younger generations of various houses coming together um it may not include as many as we once thought but it could still very well be uh you know a combination of, of stark targaryen and lannister all coming together at the end of next season to come back to come to westeros with uh, mm, john not, not sure about lannister well Tyrion. Tyrion. i'm thinking Tyrion.
0: Oh yeah, that's oh, yeah. true. I so was going to say there's not, there's not many analysts. Yeah, it's a, t- I don't
1: think I don't think Tommen's gonna Tom is not going to be part of it. But you know, uh, Tyrion. I hope he's not going to be part yeah. of it. Excuse my French. <laughs> yeah, Tyrion uh, of John and Bran, uh, and then uh, of course Danny, and, and that kind of alliance, that bizarre alliance that at the beginning of the show would, or at least at the end of season one, would have never ever happened, could be what saves the realm. Um, but that again we're, we're speculating way out there but that's what happens when you kill a character as important as Jon Snow or you seemingly kill a character as important of jo- as Jon Snow and kind of because it resets the board a little bit of where do we go from here
0: yeah no I agree with you it's gonna it's all about ramifications of Tywin's death I think Jon Snow's could well be up there for uh oh yeah huge ramifications
1: well yeah definitely like i said you know tywin he was in in the the game of thrones part of this whereas john and 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 danny are kind of off to the side and so if you kill one of them off those sort of side stories that we assume will eventually circle back to the main story kind of stop whereas tywin for as important as he was his death just means the game gets the deck gets reshuffled and, and the power balance changes in king's landing which is huge and we saw that this season but it doesn't Stop the story. Whereas you know, Jon Snow, it, it, you know, this is a either the ending of a story or a m- even bigger turn than any of the deaths. Ned, Oberyn, Tywin, all of these characters who left massive legacies will all pale in comparison to Jon Snow. All right, let's talk. Let's keep. Let's keep going. Let's talk. Uh, let's move on and talk about. Let's talk about the well let's talk about stannis because let's go to the beginning of the episode uh stannis you know the uh you know we talked last week about how the uh the show or or how uh you know the the, the well i guess the show for lack of a better term that that stannis put on with uh, of burning shireen at the stake could drive some of his people away and now we we sort of justified that perhaps as a lot of his men are, are full on believers in the Lord of light, but we forgot about the Swords, And I'm glad that they didn't just sort of take that. I'm glad that they sort of recognized that most people who are not full on believers in the Lord of light would see that event and be like, uh ah, nope, I want nothing to do with that guy who burns his own daughter. And so I thought that was a, a, a I'm glad that there were ramifications to that. In a in a massively negative negative way to mm. uh, you know Stannis's actions at the end of last week because as we said on last week you know that was horrible that like how can you do that to your own daughter and so it was good to see that it it wasn't an event that led to good things happening for Stannis you know what I mean
0: yeah it it really cost him I think yeah um, the idea that the Lord of Light had delivered on his promise when the snow began to thaw and melt. At the beginning of the episode, Melisandre was gleeful uh, at what had just happened there. Mm -hmm. And within the space of about two to three minutes, it all collapsed for Stannis, didn't it? It really happened that quickly. Literally reports of men, whoever that commander was, went up to him and said, yep, half the swords." Or oh, sorry, half the army of which were cell swords have deserted. Uh, they've taken all the horses with them. Mm-hmm. His wife then committed suicide. Yeah, which you can actually understand based oh, on her sure. reaction to Shireen's death. Oh yeah, how traumatic that experience would be, and then to cap it all off. But one person who he's been devoted to or he feels has been devoted to him throughout all of this, the reason why he's justified burning all of these people has left. Melisandre's abandoned him. Yeah, And that, for me, was the moment in Stannis' mind where he realized that it was lost, but he still went on anyway because there was nothing else to do. Okay, so In my mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to ask you this. Why do you think Melisandre abandoned Stannis after standing by him so firmly for so long? What was it in those moments that finally made her realize, oh, I may have hitched my wagon to the wrong horse. Time to, time to head back to Castle Black and maybe see what that snow kid is up to.
0: I don't know. I, I feel like she might have had a bit of crisis in faith. Ooh. Because when you see her return to Castle Black, she's not herself. Yeah. she looks completely sapped of all energy of all determination uh her disposition and her demeanor she looks so discouraged and disheartened with what's happened it, it particularly it, she has just burnt a child alive here and it's almost as though you know we've been doing this on the basis of faith towards yeah. the Lord of light and when she realizes that it hasn't worked, it hasn't been achieved, you suddenly start looking in real terms, you know. And instead of just looking at a representation of reality, you're looking at reality itself, wherein you have just burnt a child alive, it's gonna it's gonna leave a mark, I would say. And I don't know whether that's necessarily the experience which has crushed her completely, but her whole attitude changed as soon as the news of the cell deserting took place it was as though oh my goodness we we're, we're gonna lose this but well, what did you make of that then well, Melisandre leaving and yeah and, I, and would you say that was the moment that stannis knew it was gone
1: see I, I don't think stannis knew it was gone until he saw the bolton army riding towards him i think he still po- there was a part of him that still believed he could pull this off. I think there's a part of him that had to believe he could pull this off. I mean, he looked at all of the things that he had sacrificed and if it was all for nothing, then, you know, his, which it was, then his life ultimately ended in the worst possible way. And so I think he had to continue on and he he felt, you know, he had no choice but to at least give it his best shot to go after Winterfell. And, Whereas without Melisandre, I like the idea of what you're saying. There's that crisis of faith in her. And perhaps that could be next season, you know, the reason it takes a while to uh, to get uh, – to bring Jon Snow back because it will take some convincing of her to bring him back perhaps in an ironic twist of fate by Sir Davos.
0: Hmm. That would be, yeah. That would be a big shift, wouldn't
1: it? Yeah, because we know that Sir Davos at least respects John, and uh, you can bet that 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 respect would extend into next season to where he would be probably pretty upset with what happened, you know, with the the stabbing of John Snow. That he would want him brought back, and perhaps he would recognize that, and perhaps it will be ultimately be up to him to convince Melisandre to to bring. Jon Snow back. And that, yeah, that would be really and interesting. And even
0: bridging a connection between those two characters would be interesting when she was the one who made the idea of actually burning Shireen in the first place. Yeah. A child who said that was had grand affection for. You Saw his reaction at the end of the episode.
1: Yeah, well, those he, he those... wasn't
0: asking about Stannis; he was asking about Shireen.
1: Yeah, well, those two never liked each other to begin with. And, and yeah, that would be a, again, a, a really ironic twist of fate to have Davos basically begging <laughs> her to use the power that essentially meant the death of Shireen to 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 bring back Jon Snow. That would that would be a really interesting road for the show to go down. And I wonder, I mean, there has to be a reason that both of those characters are at Castle Black. You know, obviously, Sir Davos was sent away so that he couldn't stop the uh, the 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 burning of Shereen. So. He, you know there's a reason for him to be there regardless but for her to show up it, it really makes you wonder why both of those characters are there at the same time right as or right as this mutiny essentially happens
0: mm-hmm.
1: well stick, exactly. yeah sticking with uh with stannis kind of sort of let let's talk about brienne brienne of tarth finally returns and uh, this episode after being absent for a, a good deal of this season, I, I hope that she was either absent because, A, she went off and she went off. She needed time off to go shoot Star Wars The Force Awakens or she was a, or she read in the scripts that she was absent for so long. So she went off and got herself the part. <laughs> or, I mean, Gwendolyn Christie went off and got herself the part in, in The Force Awakens to, you know, pass the time essentially while she waited for her. Her scenes because the Brienne scenes were really kind of few and far between this season. You know, she, her and Pod were were a uh, uh, m- middle of the road presence at the beginning of the season and then they just kind of disappeared until this episode. And in this episode, of course, you know, Sansa finally goes to light the candle herself in the in the broken tower. And uh well, <laughs> She lights it the second Brienne looks away to go and uh, and face Stannis. A cruel, fate, fate is a cruel, cruel thing in that, or fate is a cruel master in that in that moment. But she comes face to face with Stannis, and she kills him for what he did to Renly. And, well, they cut away right before the sword actually makes contact with Stannis. So first things first. What would you say the odds are of Stannis being alive next season?
0: Very slim. Yeah. But the ambiguity, ambiguity is concerning <laughs> because a lot, a lot of people actually haven't spoken with after, have spoken with them after this episode aired have actually hyped up about that theory because when I first watched it I had no hesitation in my mind to you know put a little boxes to say, Yep, yeah, tick, Stannis dead. is gone, he's dead, he's off the game. Now, he may well be off the game, but is he actually dead? That is a good question. Uh, I always hate it when that camera does it. But yeah. for me, I'd like to think after everything that's happening, you know, Brianna said before, this is the one thing that she wants you know she is supposed to be this oath keeper so she would be keeping an oath to renly baratheon in that respect i think there seems to be a lot of reasons pushing to the fact that he has been executed by Brienne, and also he was bleeding out there i mean how long is he going to live for anyway mm-hmm. i'm i doubt very much that he's alive what what do you think
1: uh, well I'm kind of with you. I I, I have a hard time believing that he's alive, but at the same time, why cut away from that if not for any other reason? Like, if we just come back next season and we see, uh, see Brienne, you know, Gwendolyn Christie standing there over over Stannis' body, uh, and and she just killed him, like, why not show the death? It's not like, it's not like Game of Thrones is any stranger to gory deaths. It, it, It seems... Again, there has to be a reason for it, right? Like, it feels like there has to be a reason for that to have happened. And I just can't figure out what. And maybe we'll find out next season. Maybe she hears Sansa and Theon land. (laughs) And and she looks behind her and has to go running off and just kind of let Stannis bleed out. But to end it that way, it just feels like there is something more there. But Mm. I don't know. It it's just the way they cut it. It 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 makes you think. It makes you wonder.
0: Makes you question whether what you believe you've seen actually happened.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Leaves it up to your imagination. And as you said, Game of Thrones, they rarely do anything about a purpose behind it. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So we'll we'll see. But sticking in the north, let's talk about. Sansa and Theon as mentioned uh, Sansa finally gets the nerve To go light the candle in the broken tower uh, The place where it all Started where Bran was pushed out the window There's some, some nice, nice shots That evoked that scene uh, That evoked the first episode I thought that was really cool uh, Really uh, excellent cinematography by, by, the, uh, by the crew there uh, But As she leaves she eventually gives up hope That she actually has a savior out there She finds herself face to face with, uh, with Miranda with a, with a bow and arrow in her face and Theon standing there. And finally, Theon snaps out of the Reek persona and saves Sansa, killing Miranda. And they go and jump off the Winterfell, (laughs) the Winterfell walls. And (laughs) I, I mean, obviously they're going to be back next season, but how do they survive that? like is is it like Lord of the Rings or the Eagles going to fly in <laughs> like what is going to happen here uh are they going to apparate it's like Harry Potter uh you know i i i it was an interesting interesting way to go about that scene well, we'll I'm sure we'll find out next season maybe they just landed in a, a nice patch of snow <laughs> um but you know, we've finally we we've we would seen Theon gradually breaking out of the reek persona over this season. So this finally seemed like the natural way for that to go. I, but what what do you think it was about this particular moment that finally made Theon snap out of it?
0: I think it was not just necessarily hearing about what Ramsay was going to do to Sansa. But I think it was the fact that he would, ha- he would have to see it for himself. I think mean, in a way, you, know, you hear the stories and it's happened to Fion, but he's still in a way, just put it away out of his mind a little bit. Now Sansa has repeatedly been trying to bring back the Fion persona in place of Reek. Now had Miranda... I I don't know where she was going to shoot, but she was going to shoot an arrow at Sansa. Had that happened, I mean, he's seen that for himself. And I know he's seen Ramsay rape Sansa, but he hasn't seen... Ramsay hasn't done the things that he has done to Theon yet. You know, when it gets as bad as to chop his... Um, undergarments <laughs> off so to speak and, and the cruel torture as well uh, you know it, it, I think at that moment and obviously the guilt that's been already servicing within him it's just a moment that really culminates really in his mind it's a snapshot visual snapshot of this horror being relived once again that's how I interpret that scene what, what, do, what do you think about that scene and and why theon chooses that moment to stand up for sansa
1: well i th- i think theon obviously has a lot of re- uh, or a lot of regret for not standing up f- for for her before and i think when she finally got him to uh, you know break out of out of the reek persona and finally, you know, admit that he didn't kill Brandon Rickon and that he was upset or that he was sorry for uh, betraying Rob and, and all of these things. And, you know, essentially, we finally saw Theon again. And now now to to have, th- to have that happened, I almost wonder if he's kind of been going through a, a Devil on one shoulder, angel on the other shoulder, kind of situation where, you know, Theon, there's almost two voice in his, voices in his head. It's like Gollum and Schmeagol, you know? He's got Theon and he's got Reek, and Reek is saying, no, but don't, don't do anything. Just, just listen, do whatever Ramsey says. We know what, what's happened before. Whereas Theon is saying, no, we need to act. The time for action is now. We need to do something. And I think it was in that moment he sort of thought, finally realized, I can't let this happen again. And, uh, and finally snapped out of it and killed Miranda. Now it'll be interesting to see if and when Theon and Ramsay come face to face, be it next season or beyond, what happens if he snaps back into the Reek persona a little bit or if he's able to hold on to his true identity to to Theon and actually, you know, do some damage to to Ramsay for all the horrible things he's done to him. That that seems to be the next that seems to be something that I, I, I would expect to happen in, in episodes one, episode one or two of next season, because you know Sansa and, and Theon are leapt off the wall. We have to assume they land safely. <laughs> However, that happens. And we know that Ramsey, you know, the one scene we got with Ramsey showed that he was beyond the, the gates of Winterfell at that moment. So in that moment, it, it seemed like it would make sense to, uh, you know, that they would run into each other pretty quickly and it will be up to up to Theon or maybe up to Sansa that would almost that would be just as as sweet I think <laughs> you know it doesn't matter who kills the guy at the end of the day as long as one of them does it one of them gets their uh, their vengeance uh for the two of them and then we'll see where do they go what's next for them do they go looking for Bran maybe they go looking for Rickon maybe they go looking for Littlefinger who knows it, it'll be interesting to see uh, but let's let's talk about what goes down goes down in in Bravos this week with uh with Arya, Yakinagar, and uh well, another Yakin Agar, <laughs> The many, many Jakinagars. Um so Arya takes a face from the Hall of Faces and she like you like you suggested, she sneaks in uh to uh you know, uh, perverted pedof- pedophile raping of young girls essentially and kills him right there in in brutal brutal fashion finally getting some revenge uh for uh, for for killing serio all the way back in season 1 and for all the other horrible things he's done since then uh well first off what do you think of of Maren Tran's death scene it was it was it was that was almost more gory than than Jon Snow's death, or it was. Oh, it was
0: ten times more gory. Yeah, horrified than that. I, it was it was deserved though, wasn't it? I mean, none of us were a fan of Samara Trent No. You, usually, if you see those in horror type movies, you'll think, oh, you, know, you may scream a little bit when you see it. But you know, to someone like Samarin, who we'd already see within that scene, him using that. Wooden stick to smack Ooh. those girls, you know, yeah. and and they, you know, those underage girls, it might be added as well. Yes, it might, they look like 14 or 15 years old at most, probably younger than that. And and then you see what Aria does, and, and you can't think but go, but say, Go, Aria. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, he killed Sir, uh,
1: um, Sirio, oh, Sirio,
0: that's that's the one he Cereal killed Sirio at him. the beginning in season one. And is the first name on Arya's list. It it was deserved, wasn't it? Do you yeah. not agree?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And it was a, a very a, again. It was a the uh, the makeups and, and prosthetics and and everything in, in that scene, or any CGI that was used was was used phenomenally. All of that came together in a really really nice way in that scene, or not nice, but in a, a very good way in that scene to create a memorable death scene and a, or a memorable sequence and, you know, having Arya kill him and, and sort of talk to him. It was a really, you really got to see the sort of the, the dangerous side of Arya for a change, which we, we, mm-hmm. we know is in there, but we don't always get to see. And it was, it was nice to see it in a way that, was much grander than anything because she like monologued at him. She was almost doing, she, you know, Sir Marin Trent was the villain in that scene, and Aria was essentially doing the villain monologue to him about uh, about this. So it was a, uh, it was definitely a, a, a great scene. But then we get back to the Hall of Faces, and she puts back the face, and she comes face to face with uh, with Yakhanagar, and uh, and that that girl, that other girl, and. You know he, she. Essentially, she gets told off for killing the, this guy, and you know the whole thing. Only death can pay for life, and so Jack and Agar pulls out some poison and drinks it, which was pretty surprising. I, I have to say, I wasn't expecting that, and he dies, and Arya freaks out, only for her to turn around and and that girl is now wearing jack and agar's face and and talking like him too and it makes first things first did we ever know the real jack and agar like is the jack and agar we've been following this season even the same dude we saw in the lannister camp back in season two
0: wow i that was really an interesting one wasn't it what's happened there with jack and agar um I don't I don't know, it's a tough one to say. I mean the thing is with his character there's always been mystery surrounding him and I think the point he was trying to make there was that he is nobody in a way mm. and that he is just a face.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Because
0: obviously you then see Yakin Hagar's face on the girl's body. Yep. And you also see Arya when she's looking down at Yakin Hagar's seemingly deceased persona. She just lifts a face, and he's gone. And another person arises. Another person arises until eventually it gets to her,
1: which was weird. What What do you make of that? The fact that her face was there, because it it seemed that the faces that they wear are the faces of dead people, but she's not dead. So how did she see her face there? Was that just kind of a vision? Was that you know Luke seeing his 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 face in Vader's helmet on Dagobah kind of thing?
0: Yeah, I wasn't wasn't too sure about that. As you said, yeah, she, she wasn't dead, so that can't have been the reason why that face was there. I, because he, he said something, didn't he, Yakanigara, as though that the faces are a poison to somebody, not to mm, nobody.
1: Yes, that's a good point.
0: And we- I thought it was quite interesting how Arya went blind as a result. Now, I'll ask you this question. Why do you think she went blind? Well, do think, you think that's a result of the mask, of what Yak and Hagar's doing? And or, or on top of that, do you think that's linked as punishment to what she's done to Sameran with her stabbing the stabbing eyes? Stabbing the eyes out,
1: yeah. Ooh, the stabbing of the eyes out. That's interesting because that is very – that that's you know, good symbolism it's there. You know, it's karma a really, isn't it? Yeah, the fact that she's losing her eyesight after she stabbed out his eyes. So I, I think it's a combination of that, and I think I, I don't know if I, I, I hesitate to think that her blindness will be permanent, kind of like Jon Snow's death. I think it may be a lesson for her. I don't think she's quite done at the House of Black and White. I think she still has, you know, much to learn. She still has, uh, you know, what it will take to be a faceless man. Now I I still wonder if she will ever become a true faceless man, um, or if she even can but it, it will be interesting to see if she's able able to get her eyesight back i believe she will although it, it'll be interesting to see what it will what that will take um, you know you know how they will how they will bring it, bring that back cuz that's not something to you can bring back easier <laughs> it almost seems like it would be easier to bring someone back from the dead than to give someone their eyesight back in a weird sort of way if you know what i mean
0: yeah then maybe that's it, maybe she has to become nobody before she can get her eyesight back, you know, when she puts on a new mask I and mean, when she is nobody and she can see again. I yeah. don't know. But I I'd it'd be see... interesting. But I think I, I think it's quite poetic in a way that she's lost her eyesight in a way metaphorically, I think it works because she has lost her sight. She's lost her vision of of what it takes to become no one. And instead, Arya at the moment's kind of in this uh, never region where she's not sure if she wants to become no one, or she wants to be Arya the assassin with these tools that are capable of enacting revenge against those who have done her wrong in the past. And um, I, I think she has lost the sight in that respect. So in a way it's quite poetic. I think she's lost her eyesight.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and personally, you know, I, I it will be. I, I'm interested to see if they are able to get if she get if she's able to get her eyesight back because it seems to do that she'll have to become no one and I don't want that to happen. You know, I, I don't want Arya to become no one. I think she's far more interesting as Arya Stark with a with a particular set of skills than as than as no one. And again, her her story has kind of jetted off in a, in a way that's. Uh, similar to, you know, what J- John and Danny's story has have been for so long that, you know, eventually you have to think that she'll circle back to the main story of, you know, the politics and, and perhaps the White Walker threat. But she's kind of off on her own right now. And, you know, if you killed her off, it, it wouldn't change too, too much with most of the other characters because most of the other characters think she's dead anyways. So it will, it will be definitely be interesting to see how they handle that going forward and going into next season. Interesting to see. Poor choice of words. Poor choice of words. Alright, let's talk about what goes on in Marine and in the uh in the in the great plains of wherever wherever Danny was, wherever Drogon flew her. Uh but it was interesting that Tyrion is now placed in charge of Marine as Jorah and um Dario go off in search of, of Danny, and I think that's going to make for some very interesting episodes next season uh, but Tyrion is, is left in charge how do you think Tyrion will do as the actual ruler? I mean we've seen him serve as Hand of the King and we, we know he'll be a good advisor but when he's kind of the one making the decisions he, he's got, you know, it seems like Grey Worm and Missandei will actually be advising him how, how do you think he'll do as the actual leader?
0: I think he'll do reasonably well. Uh, The reason why he was appointed in that position in the first place by Dario was because he had the experience of governing in King's Landing. Yes. King's Landing was quite a a similar tempestuous landscape. I I recall seeing in season two the riots that were breaking out. With people yep. throwing food at Joffrey, which yep. was obviously granted. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's a similar atmosphere here, where the public are disenCHANTed with their rulers, the noblemen as well as rioting against them. The sons of Harpy. Yep. He, he's got a lot to deal with here, and he needs strong military allies, but he also needs someone who has just arrived, fortunately, the last minute. <laughs> Guy called Lord Varys. Yes. Oh, I'm
1: so happy to see him back. To, I'll, to, I'll to tell help you.
0: Tyrion once again. Although, I, I do want to get your opinion actually about Lord Varys in a second, but we'll, we'll come back to Lord Varys in a, in, in a minute. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. well, so what did you make of that little dynamic then with, you know, when that shot of him, uh, Tyrion, the grey worm, and oh, I Miss can't Andi. remember the handmaiden's name. Missandei. Masandai, that's the one. See, if, if we were doing the characters quiz, I'd be useless at this. So <laughs> Masandai, Grey Worm, and Tyrion, they're all standing there. Yeah. And it's looking, at, for that moment, a little bit bleak, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's suddenly like, oh, gosh. Suddenly the characters are left, and, and we've got Tyrion and, and two, two others who will sh- struggle to communicate with each other.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I, I was, I was uh, very happy to see uh, Varys walk in. I I I had missed his presence throughout this uh, season. Ever since he disappeared back in what episode three, episode four. Yeah. I mean, left you know, of that brothel for yeah a exactly poor guy um it, it was uh you know I, I had really enjoyed their dynamic and i loved that he sort of threw in that line of you know and here i thought we were traveling we we made such good traveling companions i, I thought that was a uh, that was a, a great line in there because i'm like yes you did you should have stayed together it would have been great uh and so i'm glad that we'll get to see them together again and so that's sort of what i said at the beginning of this season is that oh it's good to have them back together and then then, of course, they got separated. Now it's good to have them back together again. And when when the opening credits for this episode came on and, you know, they were, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da, and, and they're showing all the cast who are going to be in this episode. And I saw um, Conlith Hill's name in there. I, and I was just like, oh, thank goodness. Virus is back. Virus is back. And when he walked in, I, I was was very happy. And I think that will make it an interesting dynamic. And it will, uh, you know, I think Tyrion understands ruling to a certain extent uh but i think you know this will give him some some practice and some some good firsthand knowledge so that when danny eventually makes her way back he can properly advise her um not just based on you know what he remembered from what was probably a, a year or two ago at this point you know he, he has to you know get back into the swing of things from you know where he was before you know being on trial being in prison being a a, a drunk being trapped in a crate all of these Horrible things that happened to him after you know Tywin came back and he was no longer Hand of the King. So it, I, I think that will be interesting to see how how that plays out. And obviously, I guess Andi and Grey Worm will be the faces of the of the rulers there because they're already familiar to the people of Merion. But Tyrion will be the one calling the shots behind the scenes with the help of varus and and perhaps Varus being there will and and advising Tyrion will eventually help. Uh, you know Danny come to trust him in a in a weird sort of way you know he's one of those characters that you have to trust but you can't really trust uh, or or you don't know if you should trust but really you should you know he's he's such a a mystery with his being the spy master and we we got a sense of what he's all about this season in those first couple episodes and uh and now it'll be a matter of you know how can he help Danny because now you know Danny's army essentially is is surrounding her and you know, Jorah is a is a dead man. I'm kind of wondering if Dario is is doomed as well to to die um at some point. And so, you know, she'll then have, you know, her army of the unsullied, she'll have, you know, advisors in Tyrion, Missandei, and Varus, and then she'll what she'll need at that point is some warriors, and perhaps that's where um the resurrected Jon Snow could come in at some point.
0: Mm. Interesting. But that, that could be a good yeah.
1: But that, but that's uh, that's assuming that Dario dies, <laughs> uh, which I'm kind of assuming he will at some point next season. Um, which which would be sad, I guess. Not really. I don't know. <laughs> He's he, he was never my favorite character. I don't, I don't know. Uh, not that I disliked his character, but it was never. Oh yay, Dario's on screen! Is more Dario's on screen. Well, let's see what happens here.
0: Uh, but <laughs> You're going to be watching out. Yeah, no, before before you carry on, oh, I sure. do you want to ask you oh, a question about Lord Varys. All right, because I have been hearing some interesting theories. Oh, let's hear it. Now it's quite coincidental that Lord Varys has arrived on the scene at this point. Bearing in mind how long it took Tyrion to get there, even though he had to make a number of diversionary <laughs> stops, including becoming a slave for a little bit. Yeah. Um, some people have, have looked and, and argued that maybe Lord Varys is the head of the Sons of Harpy. What would you say to that?
1: Why? Well, per- Why would purpose
0: being to try and get Danny out of Marine?
1: Oh, like to get her on the move. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. See I you know, I hadn't thought about who the the head of of the Sons of Harpy had been since they killed Hisdar Zolorak because I had assumed he was. He was the head, but that's an interesting theory that he could be, you know, c- causing this stir to try and get her to, to move and to think. And we're, we're going to talk about her story in just a second. And I think that is exactly what has happened, that she is now really going to have to reconsider her priorities. On the one hand, I like it, but on, on the other hand, I, I worry a bit because, uh, you know, Varus obviously has a lot invested in danny's success as being a ruler you know he has basically put all of his eggs in her basket at this point you know he's he needs her to get to westeros and rule on the iron throne he started many wars he is in a way responsible for the deaths of so many that to create this force whose sole purpose is to try and kill her i mean that's that's I, I'm going to keep making Star Wars references. That's a very Palpatine thing to do, you know, to test the person, you know, by essentially throwing them into the fire by, you know, seeing if if they die, then they're not worthy where. And, you know, Palpatine is a bad guy. He's not the uh, he's not the hero, whereas Varus seems to be trying to do the right thing. And, 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 you know, installed the best ruler. He's not, you know, he doesn't want to sit on the Iron Throne. He said this, he said as much and he, all of his actions indicate as much that I think to, to start up, to, to start up something like that just to test her or just to try and, you know, give her a kick in the, kick in the pants to get going. It almost seems like too big a risk that, you know, if something goes slightly awry, then, you know, one of those, one of those sons of harpy, stabs her in the heart, and then it's all over. Then it was all for naught. So while that would be an interesting twist, and I can see the, the the rationale behind it and why there are those theories, for me it doesn't quite make sense with what we know about virus' character. He's very smart, he's very careful, and I think that is too much of a risk for him to have to take or to try.
0: Yeah. No, I. I I threw the theory out there. I don't necessarily agree with it personally. I think there are a lot of flaws to that particular theory. However, I did think it was interesting that he has arrived once again when Danny's not there. I mean, I don't understand... Obviously, he wants to help and facilitate the restoration of the Targaryen dynasty. That seems to be his overriding aim, and a lot of actions seem to match the rhetoric, to be fair to him. However it could be an interesting plot twist there to try and get her out but then again we'll see next season if the Sons of Harpy of course continue to plague Tyrion while he's ruling then it would seem a little bit uh, a little bit folly really a little bit flawed because why on earth would Varys wants to then destabilize his friend's rule. <laughs> doesn't doesn't make that much. Bear in mind that he's also helping him. I mean, it's, yeah. yeah.
1: But you know, Varys like Littlefinger. They they have a lot of spies. They have they're playing this game in an interesting sort of way. It's not be, like it really it's not beyond the realm of possibility. But there's just too much um, that stacks up against it that says this is not in this guy's character from from what we understand. Now we do know that Varus can be a bit cruel. We saw that when he he captured the the guy who you know chopped chopped his uh his his, yeah, his so manhood be a reason for to be relatively of, cruel yeah for but yeah so i i mean it's it's not i see where the theories are coming from, but I, I just can't i I can't believe that Right. i I don't at this point maybe maybe we'll get some more evidence next season but right now i i don't i don't know if I, I fully believe it.
0: I think what's interesting, though, is looking from an overall context now, you talked about, again, Varys and Littlefinger being extremely clever people. They seem to be the only two individuals that are really playing the Game of Thrones to this point, if we're looking at it, in the sense that, in a way, I think that these two characters are kind of looking to put someone on the throne whom they want to be on, whom they want to have on the throne. I mean, even though Littlefinger seems to be talking about you know, chaos as a ladder and you know, how he can advance well, his power does, that way, who, I don't necessarily think he wants to be on the throne. Well,
1: who does? Well, then who does Littlefinger want to be on the throne? Because it's, it's clear that it's her. Oh, really? What makes you say that, so. that, that he wants her on the throne?
0: Well, because he can manipulate her mm. and obviously is key to the north. Yeah. I think he can use her that way and put... Her on the throne legitimizing her as, uh, as a true stark and as a house that people respect, while he puppeteers from the sidelines and whispers sweet nothings in her ear, you know, <laughs> in a similar way that Varys wants Danny on the throne. And wouldn't that be an interesting twist to what was st- dated at the beginning of the season? You know, when Cersei, a Cersei flashback, someone more young and more beautiful be on the throne. Son's a good fit into that category.
1: Very true. Very true. That will be yeah, th- I that hadn't, would be a thought, twist. That would be a twist. I hadn't thought of that. We will we'll 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 have to keep uh keep keep watching. Well of course we'll keep watching, but that's that's an interesting one. <laughs> that's an interesting one. Uh let's let's talk about Danny because uh she only has one scene in the episode, which is frankly more than I expected her <laughs> to have in this episode. I was uh not expecting to see her at all, but she's flown off with Drogon. Out into the middle of these massive plains, and while she's out there, she can't get Drogon to fly her back. He's kind of sleeping and eating. That's the life. I wish I was a dragon (laughs) to sleep and eat and fly and burn stuff. Be awesome. Um, But while she's out in this field, what should surround her but a horde of Dothraki? And, uh well, it looks like the Dothraki are coming back in a big way next season. And I I had honestly just kind of been thinking that, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago that, you know, the Dothraki were such a huge presence in season one that have essentially fallen off the map. And so now it looks like they'll be back in a big way for season six. And it looks like Danny's going to have to get in touch with her with her roots again, you know, with her where all this really began for her, which was with Khal Drogo. And I think that that'll be really interesting because this season we've seen her really struggling. And the moment where she finds she climbs onto Drogon's climbs onto the back of Drogon and flies off at the end of last week, uh, at, the, at the end of Dance of Dragons, uh, it, it was very it was a very sort of for me, it was a moment where she sort of realized she kind of felt. All the pressure of everything that has gone on—you know, this horrible stuff with the sons of the harpy and how she's being pulled in all these various different directions—that she doesn't really know what the right answer is. She felt all of that sort of stress, sort of, you know, build up within her, and she's climbed onto the back of Drogon and just needed to get away for a minute. Just needed to get away and 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 think and and. Go into a no pressure situation, and you know I think she recognized in, at the beginning of her scene in this episode that that was kind of a foolish thing to do, and she needed to get back. But what I, what I, to me, you know, having Danny with the Dothraki again, I think could potentially refocus her into what her actual goal is, because you know she spent so much time in marine marine that that is almost in a way overshadowed her goal to uh to take on the iron to to take to take her seat on the iron throne. You know Tyrion said as much to her in in one of their meetings in a, co- a couple episodes ago that you know why not just stay here and rule here? Why do you need to go to Westeros? What is it that you can get in Westeros that you can't get here? And I wonder if if that idea was sort of planted in her and and she sort of started thinking that and then all the craziness with the sons of Harpy at the, at the great games and sacrificing her morals by allowing the, the, the return of the fighting pits and which led to the return of slavery and, and, you know, having to, to marry his Darzell when it was just a political marriage. And now I think, you know, putting her back with the Dothraki could really refocus her and let her sort of see things more clearly. So when she gets back to Marian she will finish her business there and set her sights on Westeros and the iron throne uh but but so that that's my take on the scene what did you think of of the mo of that of danny's scene you know of of seeing drogon there and then going out and being surrounded by the dothraki
0: well it was a good scene it's been (laughs) a while since we've seen a dothraki and blimey there was a lot of them, wasn't there oh yeah my goodness me an abundant mass of dothraki which suddenly appeared It was covering the whole screen, wasn't it? (laughs) It was kind of Lord of the Rings-esque, if you can recall um, a scene from The Two Towers when uh, Gimli, Legolas, and Aragorn were surrounded by the riders of Rohan. It kind of reminded me of that as they continuously encircled around them. I'm assuming you've seen Lord of the Rings, haven't you?
1: I've seen it. I just don't like it.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Indiana Jones, right.
1: I I Uh, liked Indiana Jones. He well, has the same right. last well, name. When you mean... did
0: he watch it? It's just a... For the first time?
1: A couple months ago.
0: <laughs> well, get your priorities straight, my friend. But anyway, I won't lambast any more of your films that you haven't yet watched. Um, I, I, I thought that the Dothraki coming back is, as you said, it's going to be important to developing once again Danny's story arc. Yeah. She's been in it. In a place now where she's really, for the last two seasons, been learning to rule, mm-hmm. and she's been staying in Marine, trying to deal with the pressures that come with being a leader and a uh, leader of of peoples, peoples who don't necessarily like her or are devoted to her either. So it's it's kind of a different experience. I. I am interested to see where this is going to go, this, the relationship with her and the Dothraki, because surely this will bring back, if not ties back directly to Carl Drogo, it will certainly, within her mind, um, lead her to reliving memories of, of what happened back then. Yeah. I, I'm well, curious to know whether this Dothraki horde will actually know of the other dothraki hordes
1: i I wouldn't be surprised if they they at least heard of of the great called drogo um but yeah you think about when when danny was most focused on getting the iron throne was when she was with the dothraki you know she convinced drogo that they would cross the narrow sea which is something the dothraki have never done so she got that far that they were going to do that and then you know drogo got killed and Her main focus became survival, and then survival led to freeing slaves, which led to where she is in Marine, And and that she's really kind of drifted away from what has been her ultimate goal for so long. And and it seems like the point of putting her back with the Dothraki is to sort of reconnect her with that original goal of going to Westeros, reclaiming the Iron Throne, and restoring the Targaryen dynasty by... You know, winning winning a war, and and whether that's a a war of politics or a war against White Walkers, well, I assume White Walkers, but you know, you never know. Uh, but then I, I think, well, there's really only one thing left to talk about, and that is Cersei's scene. And so Cersei finally goes to the High Sparrow and confesses to sleeping with Lancel Lannister. She does. She still maintains her innocent. Innocence and, and just about everything else, uh, unless I'm forgetting <laughs> something, uh, which we know.
0: It's the only thing she reveals yeah. is why the High Sparrows is in the first place. We're going to have a trial. She's yes. like, what for? Well, there are many other accusations which you have just seemed to ignore. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And so she's then forced to endure this walk of shame. And this scene was brutal. And it was but it was brilliantly done like it it goes on for a long time and it was was fantastically acted by 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 uh, by Lena Headey and and uh, whatever doubles were used in that and the and the crowd and and just everything about it was was it was I mean it was brutal to watch I mean you you know you're seeing Cersei finally get some of her comeuppance for all the, the horrible things she's been a part of but at the same time you can't help but feel sorry for her in that scene or am i just crazy for feeling a little sorry for her in that scene
0: oh of course you do i think it's just a natural human reaction to feel sympathy towards the violent outburst that she was having to suffer there really yeah yeah uh, you know strolling naked through the streets of king's landing having to walk from the Sceptre to the red keep and it was a long walk when she looks in the distance and sees the red keep and you think, Oh my goodness me. She's got to do this walk of atonement. My, it's going to, it's going to take a lot out of her. And it did. And I think it's one of the first times you actually see at the end of it, Cersei just break down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It was
1: an emotional scene. You know, she's been very, she's been very, very cold, very calculating for so long. Uh, And, you know, she finally shows some level of emotion. You you know, she, and it just comes from the fact that she's basically been harassed and 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 assaulted by thousands and thousands of people who just watched her, you know, walk naked through the street while some some woman rang a bell and shouted shame, shame, shame over and over again. It really was a a, a horrific scene. And a very uh, an emotional scene, and and really well pulled off. You know, it it had the Mm -hmm. potential to go on too long because it is a long scene. But I, I never sort of found myself going, "Well, when will this end?" It was, you know, the whole time you get caught up in sort of, you know, you feeling bad for Cersei, which you never thought you would do. And uh, well, we'll talk about what I I think the ending of that means for the future in just a second. But I I do want to say, in in regards to you know the, the 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 nudity in this scene, um, you know. Obviously, it was supposed to be a traumatic emotional experience for for this character, and you know. So the I the then you know her being naked was just part of that. Um, the the thing I, I want to say about it is uh, I think uh, they made a mistake by showing the scenes where she's being uh, cleaned and having her hair cut ahead of time and, and showing her, her naked in that scene. I think that was a, a mistake because Cersei is really one of the few female characters who we haven't see, who have, have not, you know, undressed on the show basically, because, you know, that's one of the things Game of Thrones is known for is it's uh it's, 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 it's at times gratuitous uh, nudity. And with the, uh, with Cersei, you never up until this moment, Uh, you'd never seen her naked. And I think the, the power of this, the moment where her robe is ripped off before she begins the walk was, was robbed a little bit by showing that the scenes of her being cleaned ahead of time. And and so I think that was a bit of a mistake to include that. And I think the moment where, you know, she begins the walk would have, which was powerful to, uh, powerful in and of itself. Don't get me wrong. It was very powerful in the episode, but I think there would have been an added, uh, you know, extra um, for lack of a better term, <laughs> maybe not the noise you want to make when you're talking about someone naked. Um, it, you know, there would have been, you know, it was lacking that because we had just kind of seen it in a very sort of normalized sense, almost, you know, somebody being cleaned. Whereas I think, you know, the the shock of it was was robbed just a little bit, just a little bit. So I, I, I think that for me was more than anything else, kind of the, the weak point in the episode was including that, but it was then followed up by what was a strong point in the episode, which was a, a just a, a brutal, but very well pulled off scene that, you know, really did make you feel sympathy for one of the bad guys. And, and the show has been pretty good at that. The only sort of quote unquote bad guys that you've never really felt any sympathy for are maybe Sir Alistair. Although, uh, you know, the beginning of, uh, of ep- Season 4, Episode 9, get a little bit of something from him and, and Tywin Lannister. Um, and up until this point, Cersei. But, you know, even Jamie Lannister, you got a little bit of, of sympathy for him. S- Stannis <laughs> as well. Uh, well. Roose Bolton, not really. Or Ramsay Bolton, to be perfectly honest. But, you know, some of these characters, they have gone to great lengths to show that they're not all bad. You know, Jamie Lannister is the most obvious example of that. And in this moment, you you made you... They made you feel sympathy for Cersei Lannister, which uh, for a lot of people, I don't think would have been possible or a lot of people ever thought would be possible. Uh, but the ending scene there, when she walks into the Red Keep and she comes face to face and, you know, it's it's Quiburn or Quiburn or however his, his name is pronounced. Kyburn, Qyburn. Qyburn. He's the one that goes Cree-burn. and. <laughs> Shut up. Sorry, Carrie <laughs> Uh, that goes in and and covers her with Kyburn. the Ky- Shut up, Kyburn. Kyburn. <laughs> it's Kyburn that goes and covers her with the blanket, and then brings in Sir Robert Strong, who uh, we I think can safely say is the mountain uh, reanimated. It's it's a uh, Gregor Clegane brought back to life after his uh his uh, poisoning at the hands of Oberyn Martell at the end of last season. So he's brought back to life, and I think what we're going to see next season from Cersei, as a result of this, is she is just going to she's not for lack of a better term she's not going to give a shit anymore. She's going to kill anybody and everybody that gets in her way, and I think we may be in for a bit of a a bloodbath in her storyline next season. Now that being said, I still think we are we are watching the the downfall of Cersei Lannister. I think you know I don't think this was the lowest she will sink to. I think she will ultimately. You know, die at at some point, or 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 you know what have you? Well, she obviously she's going to die, but I think she'll be killed, or her story will come to an end next season or the season afterwards. But I think before that, we'll sort of see a bit of a resurgence from her. But you know, remember if, if we remember what the High Sparrow said to to Lady Olena, you know, when the, what happens when the the few stop listening to the many? And I think Cersei was greatly shamed in this this moment and i think she'll return next season and have it and you know having uh the mountain going out and killing people will for a while placate the people but i think they will once again once again rise up against her especially if more of the truth comes out about what happened between her and jamie and robert you know killing killing the king so i i i think what we're going to see next season is is cersei unleashed at the beginning and then a very quick turnaround and downfall and death for Who do you Lannister? think could be
0: her first target, then? The High Sparrow. It, the High Sparrow? High
1: Sparrow or the, the um, Tyrells.
0: It's going to be interesting. But there. also... Uh, uh, the, one of the lines that has stuck with me a little bit this episode is when she was confessing to the High Sparrow and he reminded her that lying to the gods is is as worse as sinners you can commit because obviously she didn't because he said are there any others you know the rumors of robert's bastard children mm-hmm. like, no she said no it's not true it's not true i even if it's not from that particular religion sect that truth will be coming out at some point oh for probably sure. next season
1: for sure well has to i i think perhaps Littlefinger could be the one to put that out there he seems to be one of the few people that either knows for sure or knows where to find the conclusive proof
0: because here here's a theory about who that young man could be as well talking about little finger which links onto this gendry
1: Ooh, gendry that now that would be interesting how would he know about gendry that would be that. How he found out, but then you know he does have. Well, Gendry has been sailing
0: spine. for a long time, hasn't he? <laughs> He's so maybe he wound up at the Vale.
1: Perhaps <laughs> that that would be interesting. That would be a, an interesting twist. Um, but yeah, definitely, it it, it seems to me um, that what, that the High Sparrow is going to be one of her first targets. I think uh, the the Tyrells will be one of be among her first targets. Targets, and I think the other person who will be among her first targets is uh, Kevin Lannister. Yeah, because he didn't he didn't help her at all. He kind of abandoned her. So, um, I I expect he'll go down. And perhaps if she kills him, that then she'll lose the support of her house and her family.
0: Well, he's the hand of the king now.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Maybe maybe Tommen will finally turn against her. Nah, I
0: think think he'll probably die of starvation. Yeah, Um, I think he really will. I, I I think poor Tom I mean, he's such an innocent lad, but on game of Thrones style, I think that he'll still be alive until the truth comes out. At which point he will suffer a her- her- horrific death.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, one other storyline to wrap up for this season, it's been one of the con- more controversial storylines for like, I will say, um, the dorn storyline finally wraps up this season with Jamie lannister uh leaving with marcella and Braun and heading and Tristan, and heading back to king's landing and uh before before marcella gets on the boat she gets a big kiss from um El- El- elaria that's her name right El- elaria uh, yep yeah, that's it elaria she gets a big kiss from her And of course, the poison that we've talked about in previous episodes uh, has come back and she poisons her and Marcella pretty much dies in Jamie's hands, but not without revealing the fact that she knows the truth about her real parents and she accepts them. And, you know i read online you end that scene 25 seconds earlier and it's a, a beautiful scene between a father and daughter reuniting but it keeps going and she starts bleeding out of her nose and and dies or seems to die so well we'll ask the question we've asked for all of the characters that have died do you think she is dead and if if if, if not how do you think she could come back
0: she's gotta be dead she <laughs> has to be dead if they find out there's some silly antidote that's on that well, the, bloody the, boat, we well, are not gonna be happy.
1: Remember Tristane. Tristane is on the boat. Yeah, he, I he may have. I know may Tristane
0: have, is, but I'm not sure he would have an antidote. No because he, it seems like the sand snakes were the only ones who seem to have that.
1: That's true. That that's very true. So yeah, I, I I'm with you. I think she's dead and I think
0: And I think the reason why we saw Bron in the cell was to see was to how that. quick. Yeah, to sell it, but also to show to the audience how quick the disease would spread. Yeah, obviously for Bronn, that was a cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as soon as the you know blood started coming down the nose, you know he couldn't really see much. He was he was close to dying within a, a few seconds. I yeah. think that she's gone. She has yeah, to. She's be
1: gone. she's she's dead. And uh, you know, we talked. I was just mentioning you know Cersei unleashed and sending the mountain off to to do some of her dirty work. I think we're going to war with Dorne next season. I think uh King's Landing is going to go to war with Dorne over what happened here. Uh Tristaine and um Oh Oberyn's brother. Doran. Doran, thank you. I, I, I had his name and then it blanked and then it my mind just went blank for a second. Uh but Tristan, no matter what Tristain and Doran may be able to do, I think Cersei will be so furious she will go to war and maybe that will be her ultimate downfall is that somebody will have to stop her because really nobody wants war but you know her her daughter is dead and she's she's about to lose you know she's now she's lost two of her three children and as we know about Cersei you know her children are who she loves more than anything else
0: well i mean think about the way she reacted to the little thing news that sansa was alive yeah obviously blaming as as being culpable for the death of joffrey oh yeah yeah wants to see her head on a spike goodness knows what she want to do to the people at dawn when she finds out they're the ones who killed her daughter
1: oh yeah yeah and,
0: and i would not want to be tristane on that boat now no I, to be honest i if, if you found that out i'd just say right we're pretty much closer to the dawn shore anyway let's just go back home yeah
1: really <laughs> Yeah, I I almost wonder if we're going, if, you know, Tris, Tr- Tris Dane is going to find out about this, and and well, he he is obviously. I wonder if you know he could run down there and and um, you know, you know, do the you know the tragic upset, you know, kiss the kiss. The- the body of his lover, you know, one last time and then oh wait, he got poisoned too and and dies there as well and then you have oh, Jamie Romeo and, and Juliet Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. And then you wind up with with Jamie and Braun having to bring back the two dead bodies. Uh I don't think that Ooh, will that happen. That'd be
0: an interesting twist on a serious note. I don't yeah. know how effective that disease is, how it's transferred, but I know she um oh, Alerio she she like wiped the poison off of her mouth mm-hmm. technically that poison would still therefore be on marcella
1: yeah yeah so there's a there's a chance it's a, now side chance, chance. It's now unlikely chance, yeah. but we
0: we'll see the point is she's i think she's dead i think you agree yeah with that i think well.
1: i think she's dead and, and her death scene too was was very was very tragic i mean her hers you know, when when we go to through the the tragic death scenes, it's John, Marcella, and then Stannis. Yeah, Stannis obviously last. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I thought that scene was very beautifully done, it very was well probably go with Stannis'
0: wife before
1: that. Yeah, oh, that's true. Yeah, Stannis' wife. Uh but it, it's uh, yeah, it was it was very well done, and and I mean the whole Dorton storyline has been very strange this season. Um, it has it's come under a lot of criticism and. Uh, rightfully so, in a lot of instances, I thought it, it picked up a little bit, um, you know, with with the meeting between Jamie and Doran uh, last episode, and and this was this was pretty good. But I don't I don't know the whole if it, if it justifies everything that came before it. That felt that all felt very strange and very weird. It'll be interesting to see where it goes next because we have you have Prince Doran who doesn't want to go to war, you have Jamie who doesn't really want to go to war, um, but Cersei will want to go to war. I'm I'm sure of that. And we'll have it'll be interesting to see how that plays out next season. Yeah. But uh I don't I, I think unless I'm forgetting something, I think that's it for the season finale.
0: Yeah. There quite a go. big quite a lot in the season finale, I have to say. Oh yeah. But that's what we expect.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it wouldn't be a season finale unless a lot of stuff went down. So that is going to wrap it up for us here, but not before we give our final thoughts and score out of 10 for Mother's Mercy. So, Kieran, I'll throw it over to you. Final thoughts and score out of 10 for the Season 5 finale.
0: Final thoughts for Mother's Mercy. I thought it was a fantastic episode. As I said before, we have different opinions on it, but I think this was one of the best episodes of Game of Thrones. It's gripped me. Uh, I, I found it particularly entertaining. Although... When we came to, say, the Battle of Winterfell, we might have liked a grander climactic battle. I think that the way it panned out was actually pretty authentic in the situation that Stannis was left in. And I thought it was it was really worked well that. Managed to bring Brienne back in. It was good to see the Sans, the storyline, come to a climax for the season, at least, because it had been built up that way, at least, at, at Reek will no longer be Reek, but he will return as Fionn and, and save Sansa, which has been great. I love the King's Landing stuff. As you said, the way that scene was executed with Cersei, doing that Walk of Atonement was absolutely fantastically acted, And the whole just atmosphere of it, it was, it was hard to watch, but in a good way, I think. Sometimes you need those scenes. Uh, We've got the Arya storyline, which was very interesting. And, you know, what's going to happen with Danny now? She's met up with a Dothraki. How is this going to help advance her goals to accumulate the Iron Throne? But to finish off, we have to once again mention Jon Snow. He's gone, but I don't think he'll be gone for long. So (laughs) I think that's the last message I can leave on Jon Snow there. Killed by his own men, but I reckon he'll get his revenge yeah dominica oh oh sorry score out of 10 10, man Uh, i'm gonna give this a 9.5 out of 10
1: 9.5 out of 10 all right well yeah you know i do think this was uh this season was definitely the weakest season to date um that being said this episode i think worked very well and the problems with it as i said at the beginning come more from the fact that it was following up some of the episodes that we've already, some of the, some of the other episodes from this season. Now, that being said, I, I still did enjoy this episode quite a bit. I thought there, a lot of interesting stuff going down and, and talking about it is making me enjoy it even more. Uh, but as, as you mentioned, uh, you know, Jon Snow's death, what a, what a scene. I don't think he's dead. I expect to see him back sooner rather than later in season five or season six. Uh, also looking forward to, uh, to seeing where Theon and Sansa go. Looking forward to the return of, of Bran next season, hopefully. Bran and Hodor bringing him bu- bringing him back and uh, seeing where Sam goes. I, I'm intrigued to see what's going to happen to Sam now that John is dead. You know, He's going to become a maester. Um, originally, it seemed that the intention was that he would head back to the Wall and, and take over for Maester Eamon um, with John as, as Lord Commander. But with John dead, well, it'll be interesting to see where Sam goes. And uh, lots of interesting interesting storylines to pick up on next season. Of course, uh, cersei uh, I've never been more interested in her character than to see how she bounces back from that horrific, horrific scene of, of having to walk through the, the streets. And that scene was so well pulled off. Um, you know, it had the potential to go on too long. It had the potential to be corny or to be inappropriate, but I think they handled it very, very well. And was a, it was a very, um, dark and brutal scene. Uh, so for me, this episode will get an 8 out of 10. I, I, I'll give it an 8 out of 10. So uh, Mother's Mercy gets an 8 out of 10 from me. So that will wrap things up for us for this week. Uh, we'll be back. Well, I think we'll be back next week. Let's do a, a, a wrap-up of the season as a whole. Let's look back. We'll look back at the season, see what worked, what didn't. Look at all the storylines. Perhaps speculate a little bit more on where they could go in Season 6. Uh, so be sure to tune in to that you know all the places to find it Facebook, just search for The Watchers of Westeros Twitter, Watcher Westeros and of course iTunes, uh, just search for The Watchers of Westeros and while you're over there on iTunes be sure to uh, leave us a review and, uh, and a nice 5 star rating do it for the watch Do just leave us a, a, a 5 star rating for the watch uh, Kieran, I know Expression is wrapped up for the year but is there anything else you would like to uh, promote what you're working on uh, on the show?
0: No, I mean, usually it is expressions. Yeah. So uh, as we said it's, uh, it's come to a close, sadly for the summer term but I, I think you're about to disclose about Star Wars podcast, perhaps, so yeah. I'm sure that you can also maybe advertise our own show on that as well but. Yeah,
1: well, of course, Karen is alluding to The Clone Wars Strikes Back, which will be returning very soon, we'll of course be breaking down the season five uh the well the season five finale over there too as we'll be talking about the ahsoka arc from that and that's a huge huge arc and we'll hopefully have some special guests to join us to talk about that so you don't want to miss that uh you find flow war strikes back on facebook and twitter and and uh on itunes but to find it on itunes you have to search for the star wars underworld which is my other podcast it's a it's a podcast about all things star wars Uh, It's recorded live each and every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern on channel 1138.com and then released on iTunes the following Friday. We break down all the latest Star Wars news, whether you're talking about Episode Seven Rebels, uh, we just did uh, last week's show where we talked about all the gaming news out of E3. So uh, Battlefront was, of course, on, uh, on full display there. So you don't want to miss that. And, of course, Star Wars Rebels returns this weekend with the Siege of Lothal. And we'll be breaking it down on that show next week. So you do not want to miss that. And uh, as I mentioned, you can find that in iTunes. Just search for the Star Wars Underworld. You'll get the Star Wars Underworld. You get the Clone Wars Strikes Back, both in the same fear. That's right. You get two shows for the price of one. And that price is absolutely free. Uh, you can keep up with us personally uh, on Twitter. I'm at Dominic J25. Kieran is at C Duggan Six. Uh, so be sure to follow us there to hear all about the things we're doing. That'll wrap things up for us here this week. And I'm, as I'm hearing the Reigns of Casimir, our, our, our remix version that we play on and on the way out, it reminds me of a point I wanted to make during the show and forgot. I, I thought it was a brilliant use of the actual piece the Reigns of Castamere during the episode. That's a, a piece of music that we heard a lot during the first four seasons because it represented the, uh, the Lannister household and, and Tywin Lannister. And we only heard it twice this season. Once, just the early, just the beginning bars of it at the beginning of the season when Jamie and, and Cersei were looking at Tywin's body. I thought that was a brilliant use of it then. And to not use it at all during the rest of the season was a gutsy move. I think it worked out because then when you brought it back in an almost ironic sense as Cersei is having this horrific experience or is getting ready to have this horrific experience to bring it back kind of shows how far the Lannister household has fallen in this season so I thought that was a uh, brilliant use of music by uh, by the by the crew on Game of Thrones so I wanted to bring that up I, I forgot to bring it up and then well of course we end every show with the or the remix of the of Castamere so it made sense to bring it back now but that is it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week, as I said, to break down season five as a whole, look back on it, and uh, well, again, like I said, speculate a little bit as to where we'll be going in season six. We'll also fill you in then on what we'll be doing during the off season, for lack of a better term, to uh, to because well, we want to keep the show going. We don't want to just go on a hiatus until next uh, until next uh, well, April probably. Oh God, it's so far away. It's so far away. Uh, but there'll be lots of stuff to uh, to fill the void. So that'll do it for the watches of Westeros. I'm Dominic.
0: And I'm Kieran. Um, and for the Watch!